Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 oh my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. Future Golf is Australia's largest golfing community for younger players, providing access to some of Australia's best courses. Your membership includes free rounds, over 100 discounted green fees Australia-wide, a free professional lesson and ex-golf simulator session, and of course, the all-important Golf Australia handicap. The best part though, the price. For 19th Tee listeners, you can get a huge 20% off any Future Golf membership with the promo code the 19th Tee. So if you're looking for a place to play without the jacket and tie, Look no further than Future Golf. Head to futuregolf.com.au forward slash join. And don't forget to use the 19th T promo code for a huge 20% off. Future Golf, play your way. Welcome back to the 19th T. Kieran Marsh, Nathan Drudy with you. Our US Open 2020 US Open review podcast, Drudster. Wingfoot and the USGA has its new poster boy and it is a truly Mr. Olympia lookalike with the thick boy, the big golfer, Bryson DeChambeau with his maiden major victory. How good. Uh, yeah, oh, oh, look, what a, what a phenomenal performance really. I know we're going to deep dive on it, but uh, really, really impressive four days of golf from, um, from the thick boy, as you mentioned. What was uh, off the top? What was your... Hmm. Your instinct as it became increasingly clear Monday morning our time that, that he was going to be uh, the champion. Obviously, he, he's been polarising since the return of golf and, and the, the sheer transformation that he's undertaken on his body. A lot of people particularly speculated that it wouldn't work in the major championships. Uh, and plenty of people probably in the time since talking to the, I suppose, the ongoing implications of his victory uh, what was your thoughts, uh, as I said, probably in those final few holes where it was insurmountable for anybody else to win uh, as to, I suppose, your, your gut reaction to his victory? I was really impressed. I think that's the that's the thought that comes to mind. When I think about it, obviously, I've, I've managed to watch quite a, or quite a lot of this tournament over the weekend. And, and for Bryson to not shoot around over par um, was incredibly impressive. And, you know, he, he really counted wing foot with his uh, obviously his driving length um, is, is the strongest part of his game but everything else uh, was so fantastic to watch and I, I was really really impressed by him I know a lot of people have criticized for him uh, criticized him for what he's done to his body the transformation he's undertaken but you know look he he found a um, he, he found a loophole I suppose if that's what you want to call it or he put his mind to something uh, went about his business very publicly. Obviously that was the part that was polarizing for a lot of people. And uh, I think that was um, the word that just came to mind as he was walking down the stretch it was just impressive to be honest. We should, uh, before we go any further, toast uh, our new US Open champion. Of course we do so with a Gage Rhodes beer. Thanks to our good friends at Gage Rhodes Brewing Company, WA's premier independent brewery for more than 15 years, named after the strip of ocean that separates Rottnest and Fremantle, and of course, the official beer of the 19th Tea podcast. So I have a single fin once again, Dreadster. I imagine you're probably the same. XPA today. The oh, track. the XPA. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That was what was in the fridge, nice and cold. So I've, uh, I've, I've got that uh, on 
on deck. Very, very the heavier and more wholesome beer you may you may well be undergoing your own transformation at the beginning of which <laughs> so here's uh here's here's to bryson droots um, yes exactly right. champion. let's i mean i mean let's talk about probably the dominant nature of the victory mm-hmm. first and foremost you mentioned yep. the only player to um hit all four rounds under par uh the only uh or oh, sorry one of only two players to finish uh, either even or better of course matthew wolf uh, a full six strokes back at even but when you consider um, you know, a six under par, six stroke victory for Bryson DeChambeau on a course um, in the build-up two dudes that had threatened so much, you know, we um, spoke in great detail about the famed uh, nature, the ominous nature of the winged foot course. And you only have to scroll down the leaderboard, you know, we're probably talking about a field average. Oh, I mean, I, I struggled with my maths, but, you know, well and truly probably around their nine, eight, nine, ten over, probably field average, to win at six under, it was just a phenomenal performance. Oh, it was. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, people, and this is sort of the part that I've grappled with over the last, you know, what have we been, 24, almost 30-something hours now since since he won, is people were still thinking that it's, it's shit that Bryson won because of the way he plays or whatever, but... I mean, if you if you look at it logically, what that guy did is he dismantled Wingfoot. He picked apart that golf course systematically, and he's done it by hitting the ball far. Like like it or not, that's that's how he's gone about it. And if that's what it takes to to win majors, whether we like that style of golf or not, it's successful. You know, T four at the PGA Championship, we were crit- criticizing him for for coming out, and he wasn't going to be able to play well in majors. So. Played at Harding Park, a tough setup. Comes to Wingfoot, which you know is, is one of the toughest golf courses in the world, in particularly in America. There for the U.S. Open, and just systematically picks it apart. It, it was a phenomenal performance. I think people are probably underselling how good a performance this was when you compare it to the rest of the field and how much they struggled. Absolutely. What I think clicked for him this week is because you know you mentioned the T four performance in the PGA at Harding Park. Of course, we had um, mentioned uh, ad nauseum prior to that the highest finish he'd had in a major um, previous to these last two was fifteenth, and, and that really the majors was where he needed to prove himself. He's most certainly done that in the last two. But for mine, Harding Park, I left there in terms of Bryson uh, wanting more. I, I thought that he put himself in a position to win and there were elements of his game and particularly his short game that let him down. Mm. Everything clicked this week. And, and I think that, you know, it, it was what I was so critical of when he went un- underwent the transformation. I said, with distance, you can't surely maintain everything else. Surely your touch around the greens has to suffer a bit. Obviously he has um, one prior to um, the U S open uh, in terms of the return to golf, but we saw at Harding park, some jitters with, um, with the short clubs in hand, at a place like Wingfoot, uh, where you are you are so punished, really, uh, often you, the, the, the areas where you're hitting wedge from are incredibly difficult. The, the way in which he managed to get up and down uh, and put himself, by virtue of his length, in, in positions of you know complete priority um, in terms of approaching the green, he was so uh, you know so impressive in terms of his complete game over the last four days at Wingfoot. Absolutely. And here's the stats that will back exactly what you, you just said that up. Second, so this is for the week. Second in shots gained off the tee. Second shots gained approach the green. Fifth shots gained around the green. First shots gained tee to green. First shots gained total plus 22 
his worst stat for the week was shots gained putting and he was 25th and he was still four shots up on the field. So I, I, you know, I mean, going back some few months ago, Marsh, you know, I'm never going to fail to bring this up. You know, you put him in a further away column um, and, oh, and, and rightly, and look rightly so in, in the sense that we didn't know how his touch was going to be around the greens and, and the approach and the putting and all the rest of it. And that was certainly, you know, concerns that were, were warranted at the time, but the way that he's come out and played so, um, or so dominantly, particularly at a course like this, uh, I think, I think it's going to, this is the start of Bryson's legacy. I think he's going to be an out and out star for quite some time uh, until they roll back rules and that's not going to happen in the near future. I wouldn't imagine. And, you know, I I owe him and, and probably the broader listenership of this podcast, a full and frank apology because (laughs) I I could not have been more wrong. Uh, And, you know, we we rewind and not, not a lot of it was based on, much fact I was purely basing it on a gut instinct of a losing um, losing something with length as I said I, I didn't anticipate that you could continue to maintain an all-round game if you were so invested on hitting the ball so far and B down to injury which I'm still um, I'm still quite blown away by how he's managed to maintain mm. we said at the time it's different when you go through lockdown you come back you've got all that time to dedicate to your body Maintaining it now week in, week out on the tour is, is a remarkable effort. Um, but, Drew, to your point, he now is presented with an opportunity. I mean, T4 in the PGA, he's won the US Open in convincing fashion. And our next two majors are at the venue from a major championship perspective that probably suits this game the best. And that is, of course, at Augusta National. We have back-to-back Masters now. And... That was always the one that everyone said, if this is going to work, it will work at Augusta National. They said it couldn't possibly work at Wingfoot. It's too yeah. down. Well, he said stuff, yeah. It couldn't possibly work at, at Harding Park. It's not set up for bombers. You need, you know, you need to be a little bit more, um, I, I suppose, considerate about the angles that you take rather than just trying to get as close as humanly possible. They said it was set up, if anything, for Augusta. He now has a chance with two majors there in a row, we could be talking, uh, you know, by, you know, April, May next year about a two or, or three-time winner at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. C- certainly. I, I don't think it's out of the question. I mean, you look at you look at the way that he's hitting the ball just so purely. And I mean, I look back on, on our selections, and I know we'll touch on it uh, later. We'll, we'll have a look at those. But the when I look back and I go... Like it was probably all there. Like realistically, if you're going to miss the fairway, and because the fairways are so narrow, like players, everyone's going to be missing fairways this week. Uh, I probably placed too high importance on actually hitting a fairway in my selections, whereas Bryson ultimately he just went, well, I'm I'm going to be a hundred yards ahead of everyone, even if I'm in the rough. And instead of having a you know, seven iron in from the rough because most people are going to be missing it anyway. I'm going to have a pitching wedge. So like, realistic, logically, all the writing was probably on the wall for, for Bryson to win this week, regardless of how the setup was, uh, considering that when he does miss the green, he's still very, very good around around, the, around and on the green. So yeah, it's probably probably an oversight by a lot of people that we really slept on Bryson for, for this week. Um, but I wouldn't uh, be... I wouldn't be too hard on yourself or, or, or me for that matter, Drew, to be fair, because I think, um, you know, to give it context, obviously you did have the outlier, the T4 finish in the PGA, but the gloss 
did seem as though it had worn off a little. You know, obviously he had yeah, for that sure. insane streak at the beginning of the resumption of the tour. But there were just a series of results that weren't overly convincing. There were the, uh, I suppose, the meltdowns, whether it be with TV cameras, whether it be with rules officials, whether it be with, you know, <laughs> uh, completely stubbornly trying to belt a three-wood out of uh, knee-deep rough and I think having a, a nine or a ten on a hole at, at, mm-hmm. at a tournament a few weeks ago. You know, it's – I don't necessarily know, like, if you'd put all those things aside, you probably um, you probably would have had him as your as your odds on favourite, but I think that's what makes it even more impressive, is that he's managed to maybe find it again. Uh, you know, as I said, it, it went into the wilderness a little bit in the last probably six or seven weeks, and he's come here to the biggest stage, um, and, and and he's produced in such a comprehensive manner against the best players in the world. To win by six strokes, a little little start, and geez, I've got a few here. Um, courtesy of the third third co-host of this podcast, Justin Ray. Justin my Ray mate. Golf. Sorry, can we just interrupt? My mate, Justin Ray. Yeah, you've actually established um, contact. <laughs> I was very impressed by this. You you received a, a response um, from the great man himself, Justin Ray. Uh, I think that means we can now call him a friend of the podcast, as, as they do. Absolutely, we can. One of the wankiest terms going around. Um, so friend of the pod. Justin Ray. Uh, Bryson is the fourth player since 1900. Wrap your head around that. That was 120 years ago. Just the fourth player since 1900 to win the US Open by six or more strokes for his first major victory. Uh, Laurie Orctoloni did it in 1902. Alex Smith did it in 1906. Rory McIlroy did it in 2011. And Bryson DeChambeau does it in 2020. So the, the comprehensive nature of that win um, made even more impressive by just how rare it is in the US Open. Oh, f- for sure. You know, he, he joined a elite company this week. The, the stats that were thrown out this week were, were quite, uh, quite amazing. Obviously, eight shots on the field in the final round, the most since Johnny Miller's uh, 63 at Oakmont. Um, you know, he joins Jack and, and Tiger as the only two, or the only three now players to win the US Amateur, the US Open, and the NCAA Division One Individual Championship. So, uh, some fantastic statistics coming out of this week. I, I do want to ask you because I've probably been a little bit more accepting of Bryson's transformation and the way he plays his game than you have. <laughs> That's probably yes. fair to say. Yes. How did you, what was your sort of gut reaction to? to Bryson winning at wing foot in the way that he did? Uh, I've, pr- I've probably come around a little on it. I think I've warmed to it a little, Drew. I, I think at the start, to be fair, um, combination of, I just don't really love the bloke, to be honest. <laughs> Something about him personally that I, that I can't warm to. And there was probably a fair element of that that was influencing the opinion. But it was also, for me, it's just not, as a as a fan and as a as a person who watches a lot of golf, it's not how I like to watch the game played. Mm-hmm. Put those things aside. I cannot begrudge a person who so willingly commits to a transformation so drastic, and not only completes the transformation, but then proves to everybody why it was the right thing to do. You know, it's one thing to turn yourself um, and to transform your body the way in which he's done, but then to go and be successful 
is another thing entirely. And and for Mindreds, you know, what he has managed to do, and this, of course, being the crowning moment of his, of his transformation, whatever he does beyond this will only add to the legacy. Uh, you cannot in any way, shape or form be angry at the individual, mm. right? Yeah. If you want to have any sort of frustration or anger, you have to direct it towards the administration that, you know, has such lax rules in areas that allows someone to find and leverage a loophole, exploit it even, to their benefit. Uh, and and that's for me is, is kind of where I've landed now. Like for what he has done, you can only, like the only reaction is to applaud him mm. because it's been remarkable uh, level of commitment to make the transformation and then to ensure that he wasn't just the butt of a joke, to ensure that, he laid out his credentials and he proved to everybody that this is potentially the way forward up until the time that they tell me I can't do this anymore. Mm. And, and yeah, I, I'm I, like, I, I'm, I'm hugely appreciative of what he has done for himself, albeit I don't love watching golf played that way, but you cannot begrudge him. It, it's been a remarkable thing that he has done in the past eight or nine months and yeah, I mean, I, I think he deserves an awful, an awful amount of credit. I, I completely agree. I mean, like I look at it the way that, you know, um, he, he, I don't feel like he's exploited any rules. Like he's just gone. I'm not hitting the ball far enough. How can I hit the ball further? Like I can swing the piss out of my driver and I can bulk up. So he's added two elements that are well within the limits of the rules. He's not hitting illegal driver. He's not hitting, you know, illegal golf balls. Well, I don't know. Maybe he is. I don't know. <laughs> maybe he is. Okay. But the he, what he's done, you know, it's 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 no different to any other sporting person on the planet changing their body to fit their their chosen sport to get better at. It's no different to a weightlifter getting stronger to to lift heavier weights. He's I. I'm I'm sort of with you in the same boat. Like, absolutely, I don't love watching the the bomb and gouge style, but I can't not love watch watching Bryson's transformation and going. Well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is just how the game is is going to be played. Courses aren't you know overly changing. They've been around for you know eighty hundred years, so they're not being lengthened in in any way, shape, or form. Some are Augusta National. We know thirteen's obviously been changed a little. But he has, maybe he's the way, the way forward, that the way the golf is going to be played and we just have to adapt to it. That's potentially the way it is. I think, and we're going to get into setup heavily, but I think there is, there's a lot to be said around the way that a golf course is set up that can almost reward the bomb and gouge style, regardless of how accurate you are. Absolutely. Oh, look, Druids, I'm really interested to see where this progresses at a macro level in terms of how long, if at all, does it take for the PGA or the RNA or a combination of both to step in? Now, it won't. It won't happen. Can you do it in isolation after one victory? No, you can't. If Bryson wins one of the two Masters coming up, does the conversation start? I think what is already what's, beginning what's to... What's the conversation? 
Well, and around is, equipment, rolling equipment back. I, I think it's, I mean, that's really the only lever for them to pull, right? It's but he's still going to hit his driver 50 yards further than everyone else because he's stronger and swings at 100 or 200 mile an hour or whatever he swings at. So what I, what I found very, very interesting um, after the tournament was a quote that I read um, from a player who finished, and we will work our way down the leaderboard very shortly, but from a player who finished um, six over par for the tournament, five over final round, so really went out the back door, T8. Um, I speak of Rory McElroy, mm-hmm. And he said uh, after the tournament, he said, I don't really know what to say because it's just the complete opposite of what you think a US Open champion does. Look, he's found a way to do it. Whether that's good or bad for the game, I don't know. But it's just not the way I saw this golf course being played or this tournament being played. It's probably the first time I've heard Rory and someone as significant in the game as Rory take a contrarian view. Up until this point, Rory has, I for the most part, patted him on the back and said, you know, you have to, much of like what we've been saying for the past 20 minutes, you have to applaud his commitment. Now when there's consequence, right? Because at, at the time he was winning PGA Tour events, but maybe Rory, like many others, thought it wouldn't translate to major championships. And he says it here. He says, it's not the way I saw this golf course or this tournament being played. It's the opposite of what you think a US Open champion does. It says it all in his quotes. He has the ear of the PGA and I wonder how many players for as many more tournaments as Bryson might win. How long does it take for more players to fall in behind? You know, what Rory's starting to say and the sentiments that he's starting, uh, you know, to make public and, and are we seeing maybe some, for want of a better term, battle lines drawn because that, that will be like the, to your point, the RNA or the PGA, the administration won't do it off their own back, but if it's player driven, if they feel pressure from other players, that's an entirely different conversation. Rory did praise him as well about that. <laughs> like, well, maybe there you go. There's a criticism from Rory. Um, and like, you know, he, he echoes what everyone was thinking or what I was thinking, what I still think. That isn't what a US Open player, what I thought would have looked like, particularly at a place like Wingfoot. Um, so Rory and Bryson won't be paired up anytime soon because we wouldn't want to create any sort of controversy on the golf course you know, at any sort of PGA Tour event, um, which is just typical of, of uh, the PGA Tour. But I think I, I don't think this is going to be around. Uh, there's going to be no action for, for quite some time. I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, I, I get your point about, the players making the noise. And I think that's going to be the trigger. Ultimately, that's going to be the trigger. But the, the response, like if I'm Bryson, I would just sit there and go, well, you could have done this. Mm. You could have bulked up. You could, you can swing the piss out of your driver and smack it 380 yards and have a wedge into every hole if you really want to, but you're choosing not to. Mm. So I, I don't know. I, look, this is certainly put the rules debate back, back square. Absolutely. But I don't. I think to your point, when does the when does the the lever get pulled? I I don't know. I don't know when that's going to be. I can't imagine it's going to be any time soon. I would, if he wins a Masters, maybe the the conversation starts, um, and that might be that mightn't be from the players. That might be from the Augusta National Golf Club, knowing that the the, the power that they wield. 
Bruce, any more? I, I know that your thoughts, um, as you said to me before we hit the record button, were a random collection of notes on your phone. So yes. uh, I'll ask if there's any things. more thoughts on Bryson specifically before we move on. I just thought it was uh, the, the final round was phenomenal. Um, mm. Some of the best golf that I've watched. Wolf and um, uh, we'll, we'll chat Matthew Wolf when we go down the leaderboard, I'm sure. But, you know, the, it was almost a, a match play tournament between him and Wolf in many ways. Um, the, they both made eagle on nine, which was fantastic. Um, Bryson being so emotional at the end, I thought was really, really touching. It wasn't, um, I suppose it, it, it wasn't contrived. It was, you know, he walked out and his parents were, were on the screen there and that was, that was um, obviously a really emotional moment for him and he, and he thanked them for all the sacrifices that they made. Personally, I think Bryson's highlight came after day three. Um, so golf.com did a little walking interview with uh, him um, and I'm just scrolling back through my tweets to find it where... This is not the episode, but we're, we're going to have to, we're going to have to talk about golf.com. Uh, yes. I think in, in, in the future, the, the what is becoming... Increasingly larger elephant in the room, uh, and yeah, their their not so subtle relationship with um, many of the players. Now, it's I, I find it a very interesting dynamic. It is, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. Either, I'm not sure. You're right. We're not going to get into it, but I'm not sure where golf.com sit. So essentially, um, the golf.com reporter asked Bryson, uh, "What you know? Do you get nervous on the first tee?" And essentially, Bryson's response was a couple of lines, and then he said. You know, something about um, how I'm feeling about the sensitivity to the air, how I'm perceiving reality. It's very difficult to explain. I can feel like I do something, but it can come off totally different depending on what reality actually is. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, Bryson? Can you make any sense of that? You know how about 15 minutes ago I said I I can't really warm to the bloke personally? Because it's It's a lot to do with answers like that. I just think he's a weird cat. Like, ah, you know, uh, you do you, boo. Good on him. Good on yeah. him. He, he, I tell you what he does do. He owns his corner and he doesn't stray from it. Well, I love it. Cause then they, he went to, um, he, he went on to sort of explain his night after, you know, what, what are you going to do? Cause he was walking to the driving range cause his driver was a bit off on, on Saturday. So he was off to the range to work solely on his driver. He wanted to control where he's hitting it on the face and mentioned that he's, he felt his grip was a little worn. So I imagine he would have got that re-grip for Sunday. Uh, he was then going to have a stake. He was definitely going to work out, definitely going to work out. And then he was going to play Fortnite to take the edge off. So um, an all encompassing interview. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, that's the, uh, the depth of content you can expect from golf.com. Um, Drew, it's just one final point from me on brass. And you mentioned the final round and the, you know, what was the shootout, um, mm-hmm. at least for the first probably, first nine holes, at least, um, between himself and, and Matthew Wolf. Uh, stumbled across this um, little gem. Uh, the last time a US Open champion had the only final round score under par in the field was Jack Fleck in 1955. To do what he did on uh, Monday our time, Sunday in the States, to hit three under on a course that, um, save for a a weird round three, um, deteriorated from the outset and was taking prisoners left, right and centre in the final 18 holes to go out and hit the only, only round under par and be 
the first US Open champion to do so since 1955 may well sum up the win better than any other statistic that I stumbled across. It was a remarkable close to what was a, a, a near perfect 72 holes for him, but the last 18 in particular, given the context, given the course, given the stakes, enormous. Massive. Made one bogey uh, in the final, you know, in the final 18 holes. Uh, his, it was so clinical. It's really the only way that I can un- articulate it is just clinical, to be honest. So he's going to be very, very good, Bryson DeChambeau, if he continues to play like this. And I know we've got some questions around uh, where we think Bryson's at and all the rest of it, but we'll, um, we can get to those after we work our way through the leaderboard. Matthew Wolf mm. uh, finished second six strokes back. Even par, uh, five over final round was what really put the nail in the coffin for, for Matthew Wolf. Uh, Drew, I, I would have been super excited. I mean, obviously the 54-hole uh, leader, mm-hmm. uh, I, would have been, I would have been thrilled, I must be honest with you, if Matthew Wolf had managed to uh, go on and, and secure, um, secure the victory. So would I. Uh, I put him on my further away list uh, all those episodes ago. But um, look, he's played really well in the two majors that we've that we've had, uh, and it's. I, I think you know we were talking about the distance debate before, but there's you look at that top f- seven names on the leaderboard. You got Bryson DeChambeau, Matthew Wolf, Xander Schauffele hits the ball an awful long way, and Dustin Johnson, Tony Finau, Justin Thomas. They're all inside the top ten. Uh, there's no doubt that distance is a uh, was a helping factor this week, and Matthew Wolf is one of the longest hitters on tour. I really, really like Matthew Wolf. I've got a lot of time for the guy. I think he is um, he's very funky. Obviously, his swing gets a lot of attention. Um, it is a little bit inconsistent at times, uh, as you can see in his round 66, 74, 65, 75. So he's he's up and down like a yo-yo, the bloke. So. Uh, I, I really like him. I think he's going to be a good golfer in, in years to come. He's he, he's meant to still be at college. He should still be a senior at mm. Oklahoma State, which is remarkable. Wild. Yeah. Wild. Mm. I just, yeah, for, for me, uh, you know, he, to your point about his age, if he had have won, uh, he would have been the youngest major champion since Tiger at the 1997 Masters. He would have won at 21 years, five months, six days old, which is which is crazy. He represents for me, um, you know, he's that he's that. I suppose the barometer of the 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 patch of audience of that golf doesn't generally engage, mm-hmm. you know. When you consider that he and Colin Morikawa are essentially in that same graduating class and they'll go through and they'll play the next 15, 20 years together, mm-hmm. they couldn't be more opposite. You know, Colin Morikawa is establishment. He is the perfect swing. He is the guy that mothers love. You know, he, he is he's golf's dream, whereas Matthew Wolf is a disruptor. Yeah. And, and it comes everything down to his swing, to the funky clothes he wears, to his personality. And I think that kind of contest that we'll see in the next you know decade or two between those two exceptionally talented young men but completely opposite individuals will be both fascinating but really really important for the game yeah for sure he's um he's an interesting bloke you know a few weeks back we compared 
we compare them, we say Colin Morikawa was the private schoolboy and, and Matthew Wolf was the public school kid. And I think that uh, analogy probably, albeit based on very, very broad stereotypes, is probably still true. <laughs> Matthew Wolf walking in one day with his hat backward and said, say hi to your wife for me or something. <laughs> like, it's just, it's larrikin stuff like that. I don't know if you class that as larrikin or if you class that as being a bit of a dickhead. I don't, I don't really know. But yeah, I'm, um, I'm on the larrikin side. I like it's, that. He's still young. Like he's 21 years old. It's, he should still be in college. He should, should be enjoying his senior year at Oklahoma State. And uh, I think he's got a, a big future ahead of him. I really, really do. I, I'm not sure whether it's – and I still stand by my, my thoughts. I know he's had two very good majors, but I, I don't know if he's going to be um, tasting success anytime soon. I think there's just um, too many inconsistencies in his game, as you saw, you know, the, that – it was an eight sw- eight shot swing from rounds one to round two, then nine and then 10. So uh, all over the place was Matthew Wolf, but Jeezy pushed Bryson even in that last round for the first handful of holes until he started to get on top of him. And, uh, and then that was it. Give context truths to what uh, his win and, and the significance of him winning the tournament may have been. Uh, the last player to win in his U.S. Open debut was Francis Ume in 1913. Yeah, yes, I did see that one. That was, you just uh, don't, you just don't win on debut in the U.S. Open. And no. six shots, I think, doesn't do him justice. He went awfully close, uh, and and is certainly a player uh, who I think will be, you know, he will feature prominently in in the next decade or two, as I said. So. Uh, a good tournament uh, all round from Matthew Wolf. Moving further down, uh, Louis Oosteisen, uh, our man. Uh, we do love Louis. Obviously, we've had some fantastic stories, um, you know, about Louis. Uh, and geez, I tell you, he, he would be easily within the top five of my um, desired guests for this for this podcast, mainly because we could talk to him like this for the Louis, better part of it. Can you just say garage, please, Louis? <laughs> For 55 minutes. <laughs> uh, three over, final round, finishes two over uh, for the tournament in outright third. Mm. Uh, there were a couple of people, uh, there were a couple of people floating his name around pre tournament druids. And I must admit, um, this goes to show how much I know about the game and how little. Um, uh, in terms of qualifications, I have to be co hosting this podcast. I, I chuckled. Uh, and and again, um, prepared to put my hand up and say I made a fool myself because he he was there and thereabouts for for almost all four days. Well, he's he's a bloke that when you're contending, you go, oh shit, Louis at the top of the leaderboard. But he's never a bloke that I just sit there and go, oh, you know, like where's Louis? I don't look at Louis if he's missed the cut. I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. Um, I'm just trying to scroll back through uh, all the questions that we posted on Instagram. I think it might have been Dame Dane M. Suddy, our good friend Dane. Not a Dane uh, Smutty, yes. When we asked uh, what everyone's picks were, he actually said that Louis was an outside roughie. So if he had Louis to finish inside the top five, I reckon he would have made a bit of money there with Dane. But, um, well done, Dane. Yeah, look, again, inconsistent rounds. And, and this is going to be very uh, – this is going to probably lead nicely into our setup chat when we uh when we get to that part but rounds one and three very good rounds two and four struggled so um which i think probably had a lot more to do with the setup than than probably uh the way that players played but all in all uh another top five finish for for louis at a uh, major 
Harris English, a guy that's been in red hot form, Druids, mm-hmm. um, leading into leading into this tournament. Uh, he, uh, probably particularly his last five to six weeks, uh, striking the ball as well as anyone on the tour. Uh, a three over final round to finish three over overall in outright. Fourth, um, to be honest, whilst I did preface by saying how good a form he is in, not a player we speak an awful lot about on this uh, on this podcast. So uh, it was good to see a little bit more of Harris English across the last four days. Yeah, he's uh, he, he can hit a ball, that's for sure. Um, and, you know, played played uh, pretty well. Obviously, his rounds got progressively worse over the four days, 68, 70, 72, 73. But um, it was uh, still a good week for Harris. He's only uh, still a, a young, youngish sort of golfer. So I reckon he's, um, he's certainly one to watch. I think he'll win a PGA Tour uh, event you know, this season, probably. He's, he's a very, very clean striker of the ball uh, and played, played well at a bloody hard golf course. So, so props to the man, beating out some, some good names as well. Uh, on that leaderboard. Xander Shawflay finished outright fifth. I, I want to park Xander because I want to revisit him when we come back to our um, reviewing our mm-hmm. our picks. I, I kind of feel like maybe we can probably race through the next couple. Uh, Druid's T6, Dustin Johnson. Uh, so following up his win in the FedEx Cup uh, to a championship, he finishes T6. Alongside Druids, Will Zalatoris. Now, this is maybe not a name that many people have heard. Will Zalatoris, he is a Corn Ferry Tour player. Not just any Corn Ferry Tour player. He's leading the money list on the Corn Ferry Tour by a fair margin. He's been completely dominant down on the Corn Ferry Tour this year. I think the T6 finish here at Wingfoot gets him up to around uh, 70 in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, um and probably one of the hardest done by individuals in terms of the restructure of the, um, the the golfing season due to COVID because he won't get an opportunity to play on the PGA Tour, albeit um, you know showing he's well and truly qualified to do so until the end of next year. So, he's opened. Um, he he is the the betting favourite uh, for this week's uh, wherever we're going. Corrales Punta Cana or something. I think Corrales, he's on this week. Punta Cana. A real downfall from the US Open. Uh, but he, yeah, he's a yeah. he's a corn ferry player, and he's the favourite to to win a PGA Tour event. Huge this talent, Wills Alatoris. A uh, couple of players tied uh, for eighth position at six over par. Uh, we have Webb Simpson. Oh, I, I kind of feel like I didn't really see Webb at all no. this weekend. Um, and that, I mean, I'm not all that. Didn't shoot by. around under par, Webb Simpson. To only finish six over two is pretty remarkable yeah. in that sense. And considering half of that six over was in his final round, um, yeah. that's that's remarkably consistent, albeit all over par. Uh, the rib, Rory McIlroy, uh, we spoke about his comments earlier. Um, also, we're not sure if you're aware, but he's had a baby, Druids, that featured yes. a little bit on the broadcast. It's like, it's like he was the first yeah, baby. Up. It's like he was uh, Joseph, father of Jesus, the prominence <laughs> at which... We were speaking about his new fatherhood across the weekend. Justin Thomas, um, who, again, I think we'll revisit when we come back to our picks because we had him at either end of the scale. And um, you were far more right than I was, but I was certainly up and about after day, day one. I think it was a day one 65, I think it yep. was. Yep. And fell off a cliff. Tony Finau at T8, Zach Johnson at T8, uh, all at six over par. That brings me, Drews, to... The group at T13, uh, headlined mm-hmm. by an individual I want to spend a bit of time on. Uh, this group finished at seven over. 
the first of which is Patrick Reed. Yes, Druids. <laughs> how, how many more times are we going to go back to the well with this bloke before we realise that a leopard doesn't change its spots? Yeah, but why do good things happen to bad people? <laughs> why is he getting hole-in-ones at a major? Um, look, take us, take us through it. Um, so round three from memory? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I must admit, you, and you may be able to fill in the blank, I'm not sure exactly which hole it was. It was the seventh. I don't know. That number's in my head. I don't, I don't know. So uh, for context, he was... Um, what was he in the top? It was certainly in the top five, but he might've been in the top three at the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you and I were sweating bullets at the prospect of having to speak about a Patrick Reed victory uh, because, you know, Patrick Reed in the top five, top three at a major championship in the third round, you would figure um, that he certainly goes on to feature on the final day. He's got, albeit we don't like him, he's got an incredible mental game that puts him in those positions. He, of course, um, capitulated, self-combusted on the back nine of the third round, but mm-hmm. not before another, yet, yet another incident, Druids, of uh, improving his lie. So um, yes. Greenside uh, rough looked to me like the fringe of the first and second cuts just off the green. We're talking like four or five feet off the green. Um, and he has what looks to be a probably a 60-degree wedge, maybe 56-degree wedge in his hands. And the camera clearly, clearly picks up him patting down the grass behind his ball uh, with two or three separate movements of the club before bringing it to rest, before taking a shot. Clear as day. And not only is nothing done about the the commentators, it's like it's like they don't know what to say because they don't say anything at all. Mm. They don't even address what we can all see with our own two eyes. It's completely whitewashed and, and it's like we, 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 we can't address it because we don't know what to say or we're not allowed to address it because Patrick has photos of someone doing something <laughs> that mm. he shouldn't. Uh, it, it's quite remarkable to me, as I said, that that we still don't seem to recognise that, that a leopard doesn't change his spots. It's, it's amazing. It, it, it is. Uh, if that was... Um, if Bryson had done that, if Rory McIlroy had done that, I guarantee you the commentators would have picked up on it straight away. I don't know why we continue to just beat around the bush with, with something like, like, where's the PGA Tour on this now? Where's, where is, I don't know who else needs to come out about it. Where are the other players? Like, you know, like, I don't give a fuck how many cease and desist letters he can dish out. Like, we've got to keep calling this stuff this stuff out because it's just going to continue. Like, I saw a great tweet um, about this uh, following the the, uh, the the series of tweets that came through on the, on the video that said, like, I can't watch Patrick Reed and think that he's not cheating on the golf course. And it's, yeah. and it's spot on because every time I watch it, or watch him play around. I'm like, when you end up in the rough, are you, you know, he, he hit a beautiful uh, three wood out of the rough at one point, I think in the first round, first or second round. And I sit there and I go, like, how can you do that? I, there must be something. And there's probably not. And, and I have no basis for, for saying that, but it's, 
I just can't sit there and think that he's he's playing fairly because of his track record. Yeah, and I don't. What concerns me is what what is the point at which somebody steps in? Because if it if it, if it wasn't the first improvement of the lie behind the ball, some four or five years ago that was picked up on broadcast, was picked up by the commentators. If it wasn't, you know, the shifting of the sand in a bunker, if it wasn't his, his caddy literally punching someone at the President's Cup in Melbourne, if it's not this, what is the point at which someone steps in? It's not clear to me that, like, how much worse does it need to get or blatant does it need to get? Does he have to pick up his ball and... Or kick his ball into a better position. I don't know what he needs to do for someone to go. Maybe we need to have a conversation. Yeah, I don't. I don't know the answer to that question, and I. I hope it happens soon because, you know, if we're going to have conversations about distance, because Bryson is is the issue here. Surely we've got to have a conversation about the legality of some of the shit that goes on on the golf course because Patrick Reed continues to mm. to whether or not it's it's break rules whether it's pushed the boundaries of rules, like there needs to be a conversation of that. And look, you know what? I'm sure he's not the only player on the tour that is that that does this. Maybe he's just the only player that gets caught. There would be other players out there and there's unsubstantiated reports of, you know, players, um, you know, doing the same thing and, and marking their ball and putting it centimetres in front and all the rest of it. Like, he can't be the only person doing it out there. So I, I agree with you. I would like to see more of a conversation around where and how this, these rules start to get enforced. That's Patrick Reed. He was in a group of four at T13. Uh, T17, the name I want to pick out here is Hideki Matsuyama. Uh, he finished uh, eight over with a final round eight over. Yeah. So all, all the damage was done for Hideki on Sunday. Uh, started the day at even. And that would have had him, I mean, based on the finishing scores, he would have finished uh, equal second if he had, could have had a bogey for a round. But yeah, <laughs> eight over final round to finish eight over is, is remarkable. Um, that's he, Hideki. He could be the worst putter on the PGA Tour. And you know where that's not great, Drew? It's wing foot uh, on those Tillinghouse greens uh, that we spoke with such a reverence about in that deep dive of the, of the golf course. Yeah, his putting and, and wing foot are not a match made in heaven. Uh, just trying to probably rattle through a few of these because I'm conscious we don't want to turn this into a four-hour podcast. Yeah, we're um, churning through time. T23, Rafa Cabrera-Bale. He, yeah. he was a real thorn in the side there for a first few days. Final round, eight over uh, to finish 10 over par, uh, but was not the Spaniard that everybody expected to be causing headaches, but certainly was uh, for the first few rounds of the tournament. Yeah, played really well. Yeah, I mean, two days, obviously got found out on the weekend there, but uh, yeah, really promising Promising two days for, for Rafa Cabrera Bay. Obviously, immensely, immensely talented, I suppose. When we talk about Spaniards, of course, John Rahm is the, the, the name that comes to mind. But uh, Rafa Cabrera Bay does some, uh, a lot of good things, uh, whether he's playing on the European Tour or PGA Tour. I, I quite like um, Rafa Cabrera Bay. He's got a great name, too. He most certainly does. A couple of other um, big names to point out. Bubba Watson uh, finished T31. Final round seven over to finish twelve over. Couple of disappointments, Strudes. Uh, Patrick Cantlay, uh, fifteen over 
to finish T43, a name that a few, I mean, probably not surprising given his form, but one of those people that um, many thought might step up in these situations, far from it. I mean, he finishes 21 strokes back from yeah. Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, for sure. I think that's where that's where Patrick's at at the moment. Um, yeah, his form hasn't been great. He, he obviously, you know, sort of... Uh, caught the attention of a lot of people with the president's cup teaming up with Xander Shawfly. Um, but yeah, he hasn't, hasn't played that good a golf. He's another immensely talented golfer, but uh, just struggled on the, particularly on, on Friday and Saturday with back-to-back 76s that hurt. Ricky Fowler T49, a final round nine over to finish 17 over. And the conversation yeah. we were having about Ricky just, a few short weeks ago about really being in no man's land at the moment. I think is only reinforced by another disappointing performance uh, at a major championship. Yeah. He put on Instagram before I read that he said that the, I can't remember if he was specifically talking about his putting or whether he was talking about his play in general, but the quote was, that was the, the, the worst that he's ever putted slash played. I can't remember which one it, one yeah. it was. So um, um, I'm probably pretty certain to say it would have been his putting because it was woeful. Yeah, so... Um, it's such a good putter as well. The ball, yeah. that's what makes it so surprising. Yeah. Um, so obviously heavily critical of himself, but again, another player in, in no man's land, um, probably in the same sort of boat as, as Patrick Cantlay at the moment in, in many ways. And then, Druids, just before we get to uh, a quick summation of the Australians, I wanted to ask you a question. Yes. Uh, what do... Uh, Shigo Imahira, Sebastian Munoz, and Christian Bazudenhout all have in common. Great names. Oh, actually, that wasn't the answer that I was looking for, but acceptable, and I will pay it for 10 points. Uh, no, no, no idea. They were all shit on Sunday, I suppose. They all hit 12 over on Sunday. Mm. 12 over. Imahira finished at 25 over. Munoz, El Jefe, at 24 over. Bazudenhout. At 20 over, 12 over on Sunday alone. To put that into context, Druids, uh, 12 over for the tournament uh, would have had you finishing at T31. They hit 12 over in a day. That's, that is remarkable for me. Now, Druids, a quick look as well um, at the Australians. Uh, fantastic performance by Lucas Herbert to be the highest finishing um Highest finishing Aussie at T31. He had a final round two over to finish at 12 over. So congratulations to Herbs and Spices. Um, look forward to having him on the podcast, hopefully in the near future. Uh, J-Day T38 at 14 over alongside Scotty and Cameron Smith all finishing there at T38. Uh, they were the only Australians to make the cut. Uh, yes. So there was a few. Uh, Matty Jones, he was 10 over through two rounds, didn't make the cut. Curtis Luck, 11 over through two rounds, WA and Cottesloe Golf Club's very own Curtis Luck. Uh, Leash, 11 over through two rounds, missed the cut. Uh, and then we keep scrolling down to uh, our man, Lucas, Lucas Michelle, uh, who, who was referred to on the broadcast as Lucas Mikel. Yes, all that. Uh, so that's the, uh, the European blood, uh, uh, I suppose, shining through in him. 17 over after two rounds to miss the cut. Scotty Hand, 18 over after two rounds to miss the cut. So not the best weekend for the Aussies, um, no. but congratulations, particularly to Lucas Herbert finishing as the highest Australian at T31. Yes. Yep. No, good summation of the Aussies, I reckon. Where are we going? 
this is probably um, the time. I think probably we could open up to the questions. We could go to setup. We could go to broadcast. I think we well, can probably we look at our, our thoughts of where we had just very quickly. Um, so yes. my tip was Daniel Berger to win. Uh, yes. I'm scrolling. I saw his name before. He uh, finished T34, had a 76 on Sunday. Um, but I would like to draw attention. I think it was... No, it definitely wasn't Saturday. He had seven over out on the uh, on the Saturday, but had some uh, had some really good rounds. Did Daniel Berger, but then had some very very poor ones. Yes, uh, my tip to win, also your tip to have no chance, and you finished up uh, the better of this way to Justin Thomas, T eight two over final round six over for the tournament. We mentioned the fast start. Yep, 65 on Thursday. I think it was the equal lowest round uh, ever at Wingfoot, I believe. Uh, yeah. Major championship. He was really good. He was outstanding. And then he could not find the face of his driver for the remainder of the three days. His driving was abysmal off the tee. Yeah, it was. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't good at all. Uh, and you know where that'll hurt you, Druids? Wingfoot. At Wingfoot. That will really hurt you if you can't find the driver off the tee. Uh, so for me, my want to win um, mm. was uh, Jonathan Rahm. Uh, yes. He finished T23, three over final round, finished at 10 over. Disappointing, to be fair. I think, you know, all the reasons that I, I talked him up in the lead up in terms of his performances at um, hard setups this year already in terms of Memorial and Olympia Fields. Mm. Uh, his need to really assert himself at a major to be able to take the next step in the conversation um, as, as the best player in the world, potentially. He's got the game, Drew. They just deserted him this week. Uh, yeah, ten, yes. 10 over, not re- I mean, in the grand scheme, of things not the worst. Um, there's guys that hit worse than that in one round, as we just discussed. But for a player of his caliber, we would have expected more on such a stage. So a disappointing T23 for John Rahm. Yeah, for sure. He was uh, just one shot behind my Smokey in, in Sung Jaim, who played pretty well on the first and last days, but uh, was average in between there. And then uh, I wanted Jason Day to win, who obviously, as we mentioned, um, didn't have the best week. No, he didn't, Jay Day. Uh, and that was unfortunate because I, I did agree of... Of the Australians, he certainly shaped as probably the most threatening, I thought, going into this tournament. But to your point, uh, disappointing to, to probably not go on with it. I mean, for that group who all finished um, tied together in day, Scott and Smith, I think all of them will probably look back on this as a missed opportunity. You mentioned your Smokey. Uh, my Smokey was, of course, uh, Thomas Fleetwood. Um, yes, where did he end up? I've just lost him, to be honest. I'm looking through the leaderboard here, trying to pad for time. Cut it eight cut, over. Cut eight over. That's, uh, yeah, no, that'll do it. My, my smoke, he didn't even play on the weekend. I did say he had two previous top five finishes at a US Open uh, mm. from four attempts, I believe. So, and was coming off that uh, T3 at the Portugal Masters, uh, all counted for shit, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> It did. Um, it, was, it was terrible. Where do you want to go next? I've got just a couple of other notes here in my well, uh, miscellaneous. I probably just wanted to touch on who I said couldn't win. Oh, who was that? It was Xander Schofle. Oh, okay, yes. Well, you, you were right. I was right. Uh, once again, flew a little close to the sun. He now has Drudes. One, two, three, four, five top five finishes 
in major starts. So he has played in uh, one, three, five, seven, eight, ten, twelve. That was his thirteenth major. Uh, he has played, and he has five top five finishes in thirteen majors. Excellent. He, unbelievable track record and we all know what he's capable of I mean the stuff that he was doing albeit not at the front of the leaderboard across the weekend was pretty remarkable from a strokes game perspective uh, but he's just he's, he's got to go on and win like yeah, that's a challenge now yeah he, he has to go on and win because he's now running the risk of being perennial I mean, and he's don't let don't get me wrong. He's got lots of time on his side, and you know, you only have to look at someone like Phil, who was a lot like this at the beginning of his career. Mm-hmm. Always a bridesmaid, never the bride. Took ages to win his first, and then when it rains, it pours. So Xander's got a long career ahead of him, but you wonder where, particularly when he's got. It's not just at majors. You know, he has won four times in the PGA Tour, but he has also had a number of close runner-up finishes being playoffs or leading and not getting it done in the final three or four holes seems to be a little bit of a mental block to get across the line and, and win a tournament yeah uh yeah i, I agree with you he's going to win he's going to be a multiple major winner uh, by the time his career is finished he's going to have a lot of pga tour victories to his name um you know four over four over with no real um no real horror round in there you know his worst round was a 74 on on uh, on the final day, so he was he was even going into the uh, last round, um, and then yeah, four over in the final, which which uh, to be honest isn't isn't a, isn't a horrible round. So um, big things ahead for Zan Shawflade, and look to have five top five um, finishes in majors against your name at such a young age is uh, is only going to hold him in good stead. I would have thought. Where do you want to go? Yeah, um, I know you've got miscellaneous thoughts. So take yeah, take me. You you steer. Um, Abe Answer going off solo in round four. Love yeah. that. Love that. That was, we, that, that was needed great. needed an Abe cam yeah. because I, I would have personally sat there and watched that for all 18 holes. I love, I love Abraham Answer. Yep. And Me Abraham Answer out in his own. I, man, that was, I, I did like that a lot. Yep. Excellent. Really enjoyed that. Uh, the Reed Spieth Matsuyama group were, hold, were told to hurry up, uh, given the hurry up on the sixth tee on Saturday. No, on Friday. Love that too. Um, also sort of question where that was for Bryson DeChambeau's group, but that's okay. Uh, um, Danny Lee's six putt on Saturday. And subsequent withdrawal due to a wrist injury, quote unquote. I think it was really just due to a broken heart. Like he just given up on that, on that. Um, I think it was his fourth putt where he just, just smashed it way past the hole. And that was, it all just went downhill from there, but you know, look, relatable, uh, very, very relatable. Uh, for for Danny Lee. Um, I did just want to touch on one guy I know very close to your heart, and that is Jordan Spieth. Um, And look, um, my my takeaway from this, because he was in the featured group that was on the uh, USGA's golf stream um, on on day one. So rollercoaster first few holes went bogey double uh, his ball got lodged in a tree then had three birdies in a row to finish the front nine once he sorts the driver out he's going to be very very hard to stop because that is the only part of his game that he's holding him back right now his putter is sensational on day one he only hit 21 percent of fairways that was 135th in the field 
He then went to the range for three hours after that to try and sort it out. I don't know if the answer is going to come in the three hour range session afterwards, but uh, he's going to be scarily good uh, and return to form once uh, he sorts that driver out. And I'm sure it'll, it, it will sort itself out, whether that takes a year, two years, five years, it'll, uh, it, it'll be back and uh, it'll be back in a big way because his putter's keeping him in tournaments right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it has been for some time though. I don't know. I think I've kind of reached a point with, Give with it up. Jordan. No, no, certainly not. It's there. It's definitely there, Droots. I think you'd be you'd be foolish to to rule him out of returning to form in a big way. But I, what I'm concerned about is from the outside we've not we've seen no drastic change, mm. so we're getting the same results, but we're not really seeing him make a drastic change. And I think that's what he needs. I think he needs to like he, he needs to pull the handbrake up. And, and make a, a, a meaningful change, whether that's the people around him or, you know, I'm not saying something like Bryson, but, but, but to the point, draw the analogy, Bryson's made a drastic change like how successful it's been. Mm. Jordan keeps having the same results, but going back through the same process. And that's what concerns me because mm. we know it's there. It's incredibly frustrating how close it is, but if you keep going back to the well and it's dry, you, you need to dig another hole. And he's just, oh, yeah, I, I think it's time for something new. I don't know what it is, but he needs to change something. I agree with you. I completely agree with you. We could do mm. many podcasts on Jordan Spieth. The only other thing I had, and I know you had a couple of takes on the broadcast, was that the live stream that was um, available on the USGA's website um, was was really good. You could obviously watch featured groups. You could watch... Um, a couple of selected holes. They picked three each day. Um, then you had to transfer to in, in Australia to KO um, at about midnight in Perth time. You could have picture in picture on the uh, on the live stream between multiple uh, holes. There were live quizzes that would pop up. It was really cool. I thought they did quite a good job of that. To be honest, I watched most of my uh, golf on that, and then sort of KO in the morning with. Um, with the uh, with the sound turned relatively down, so I didn't wake my girlfriend up um, if I was uh, if I was around her. So it was um, yeah, it was the, the broadcast was quite good. I thought you did an awful lot of um, surfing. Yeah. Like I, I must admit, uh, I quite admire the manner in which you you switch. I, I very much probably just get up at a certain time and I find what's easiest, and I, I don't do the work. Whereas I mean, I think that anyone listening realizes that you. If there's a if there's a split of work, it's probably not fifty fifty on this podcast. Let's be honest, <laughs> the manner in which you go about your scheduling and your business. Uh, I mean, it, it keeps this podcast afloat. Let's be honest. So, good on golf, you. Golf first, life life afterwards. I just think there was a series of um, a series of incidents over the weekend that mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned one of them before the Danny Lee six part. There was also a, I think it might have been Saturday. For Sunday our time, but there was an incident involving Brendan Todd where he hit oh, yeah, a shot. We, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're going to talk about here. Looked like he was literally about to launch his iron left of screen and they cut away straight away. Uh, look, to be honest, I can't blame them for cutting, <laughs> cutting away from that. I would have loved to have seen it, but I can't blame them for cutting away. I'm just, I, what is it that they are afraid of? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's a great look for the what the tour wants. Like, I get, I definitely, um, I absolutely get that, like for sure. But, um, well, I just think like, I want to see it. Don't get me wrong. But Druids, so this is where I'm coming from. You shouldn't. Let's be real. You shouldn't be doing that down at your local club in a Saturday pennant or Wednesday social. So mm-hmm. if they're afraid of showing something that Brendan Todd shouldn't be doing, find him and he won't do it again, but don't cut it off. Like don't, don't try and pull the wool over our eyes, that, especially because you've started showing it. Like we knew what he was about to do. <laughs> He'd taken two steps left and wound up with the club and then they cut away. So it's like you either cut away straight after the shot or, or, you, or you let us watch it out. And if he's doing the wrong thing, punish him. But don't like don't don't try and turn this into a Truman Show tour that everything's perfect. We know it's not. These guys make mistakes. They're human. We don't begrudge them of that. But like that's the sort of stuff. Danny Lee six putt. It was like secret tapes emerged after people had been getting whispers from reporters on the ground that it had happened and yeah. like caning NBC to show us the footage. Yeah, yeah, it was. But it again, was a bit odd. Yeah. What are they afraid of? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Image, mate. That's what Bryson said. Hashtag brand. Hashtag brand. <laughs> Don't affect my brand. Uh, talk Very to me about setup. Cool. Well, let's do questions first because then okay. we can tick all that up because, because they're, all, uh, they're all there. And a lot of them we have covered. Uh, we got some, some great comments uh, that came through as well. At Angel Callum 11 just sent love it with about, uh, I don't know, 15 O's in it. So good on you, Angel Callum. Uh, Josh Robig, uh, very good friend of friend of ours uh, just a, a great comment that i thought was worth uh noting let's appreciate the top two players at the u.s open uh two of the most diverse i think that's a great way to great way to sum up uh what was an exciting week at winged foot quite an enlightened comment for josh jeez yep. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's good i just want to give context this is a guy who who'd picked henrik stenson to be one of the winners uh, uh from what he told me ahead of the tournament so I think his his review comments certainly a lot more <laughs> credible than his preview prediction. That's good from you, Joshy. That's uh, that's a very good point you make, <laughs> Henrik Stenson. Okay, uh, we've covered uh, Dane M. Sadi's uh, comments. How does Bryson winning on the course affect the uh, equipment v course debate? Um, at DT Plunkett, Bryson to be wearing green in November? Question mark. He will destroy Augusta with those greens. Every chance uh, wouldn't be wouldn't be unsurprising for for him. I don't think to be to be uh, the Masters champion this year, or whether it's the one in uh, in back in April in twenty twenty one, or both. Imagine that. Or both. Imagine if he went and won both. Be significant, wouldn't it? It'll uh, actually be really interesting to see what, if any, effect on his distance there is. The difference between playing in fall. Yeah, it's uh, great as point. opposed to to autumn, it'll be really interesting to see because obviously, like I think that's what that's what's going to surprise a lot of people in a couple of weeks' time when we go to Augusta National, and I'm sure that um, the club will pump as much money in as they possibly can to have the azaleas looking as as good as they usually do. That the mm. trees lining Magnolia Drive will be prim and proper, but there's still going to be some differences to what we're used to seeing in April. Yes, just aesthetically more than anything else, but the way the course plays as well, and it will be interesting to see if there is a certain time that sets up better for him, acknowledging that the course itself sets up well for him. So both tournaments, you know, will be leaning into his game, but I'll be very interested to see if one time or the other has a, has a bearing on, 
on his performance. Yeah, it will be very interesting. I'm sure the setup is obviously going to be, uh, that'll probably be heavily dictated to by the setup and then uh, both times it'll be looking spectacular. Last question uh, was from at Ramdog83, uh, who, shout out, uh, as I saw on Instagram today, uh, did get a hole in one a few weeks ago. might have been a month ago or so. Congratulations, Ramdog. Uh, Ramdog. Asked the question, was this as deflating as Reed winning the Masters? Absolutely not. This, no. <laughs> I was... I was quite excited by Bryson winning this week um, as we've uh, at nauseam discussed. So no is the answer to, to that question from me and I would imagine you're the same. I, I, I just want to be unequivocal about this. So there's no confusion moving forward. I don't like watching Bryson, but I completely <laughs> respect what he's done. Patrick Reed is a cheat. <laughs> well, let, let's be very clear. The, you and I were, had genuine talking about this over the weekend, genuine concerns that he was going to win this tournament at one stage there. Yeah, I don't know what, what that would done. mean for this episode. Yeah, because he is a cheat. It wouldn't uh, I'll say, and I'll say that again: a cheat. Yeah, uh, Bryson is just someone who has leveraged a loophole and done yeah. it to his advantage, and should be applauded for doing so. Completely great. All right, we are now almost at the one hour ten mark of this podcast. This is the US Open, so we we deserve a bit of extra time mm. on this. So thank you for for everyone who's tuned in thus far. Now the setup obviously heavily criticised throughout the week. Marshy, give me your uh, give me your takes because I, what I haven't told you is I've gone and done a fair amount of uh, analysis on pin positions uh, for this for this uh, tournament over the week, uh, looking yes. at how far they were on and in and all the rest of it. Um, so give me your takes on, on setup. Oh, look, I'm probably not as strong on this as you are. I mean, acknowledging that for me, probably the biggest frustration was the inconsistency. What I want to see, I don't want to see an unbearable test from the outset on Thursday. I want to see the course. Uh, I want to see the course gradually deteriorate. I don't want to see it right on the button from Thursday and therefore it's only a matter of time before they lose control. I want to see it really peaking on Sunday, which ultimately I think it did, but it was the up and down, the yo-yo nature of that. Like Thursday, there's no doubt the greens were, were too soft, but again, that, that's, that's that fine line that the superintendent and his staff tread to get it ready for day one, because they don't want it to be too far gone at that point. Uh, I was listening to an interview earlier with Gil Hans, who, of course, was responsible for the restoration a few years ago, and he, he had a great phrase about letting the course come to you. And I think that's ultimately what they did. However, obviously, they maybe over-indexed for round two, pegged it back for round three, only to go back again for round four. And that The inconsistency of the days and the progression through the tournament is probably what frustrated me the most. But I thought that, um, save for a few... I think pretty menial pin placements. I, I actually think that the the core staff did a good job, Drew, because I think what we also don't see, and I know I'm conscious that I've gone an awfully long time before one answer, but I think the thing we don't often see is the backdoor conversations between the core staff and the USGA, and I imagine that is incredibly difficult to navigate. Yeah, and that's where I got annoyed this week. So. The so the, the, there was a lot made of the um, the round one setup as you mentioned, um, and so when sort of pushed on it, the USGA passed the buck to the Winged Foot Golf Club, saying that they were the ones that were responsible for the setup of of the course and the way that 
um, the course was presented. No, this is the USGA's tournament. This is your tournament. You dictate how that golf course is to be set up. If you want it baked out from day one, you can have it baked out from day one. You are the ones that are responsible for that. So first of all, I think the USGA needs to take responsibility for that, um, for, for not having the best set up. I, I understand your point about not wanting it to be too far gone on day one. I definitely agree with that. It needed to be further gone than what it was on day one. Mm. Uh, it was like the ball was biting. It was, the greens were soft. There was no rain around. There was no, you know, the wind was up. Like there was all these other factors that were contributing to making these greens. They should have been baking the greens out, but yet the ball was still reacting and, and, and being so receptive for, for a course where it shouldn't have been like that. So clearly they were, they were obviously watering it. Um, yeah. So I think there was some some thoughts around the green. The, the the part that I suppose I I attributed. Look, I, I assessed the setup overall as being pretty average for the week. I definitely agree with the inconsistency. Absolutely, that is certainly part of um, what I add that down to. But also, I think in in the days leading up, and you know, last week we spoke about it on the preview. We were like, this is going to be one of the toughest setups that we're ever going to see. <laughs> As we talked it up, <laughs> but but that's the information that we're being fucking fed from yeah. people on the ground at Wingfoot. You know, the the rough is going to be as high as you know whatever. It's the greens are going to be baked out, and then we get to round one, and we see a sixty-five. So I've done the the scoring breakdowns. So we had one round of sixty-five or less, twenty rounds of sixty-six to sixty-nine, eighty-eight rounds of. 70 to 74, 34 rounds of 70 to se- uh, 75 to 79 and one, one round in the eighties. So like we, we just didn't get that from day one and everyone was like, well, hold on. It's all going to come. It's all going to come. And then they over indexed that on day two when, they, when we had only three rounds of 66 to 69 uh, and 69 rounds of 75 to 79. So they just completely flipped it and went around the other way, but it didn't live up to the hype of what, we were going to be what we were meant to see is, is what I thought. And I think the most disappointing part for mine, Druids, is I'm sure they deny it, but I, I think it's pretty obvious that the ground staff and the USGA for that matter, they react to public opinion. Mm. Uh, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I know that we exist inside an echo chamber of golf nuffs. <laughs> who think that their opinion is the most um, valid, but I'm sure that the particular ground staff had a plan going into the week. But to your point, it seems like by the end of Thursday, that was thrown out the window because yeah. everyone was so unhappy about how, you know, perceptually soft the course was on Thursday. So they had to over index, but then did they take it too far and they've got to pull the reins back to Saturday, but shit, now we've got the final round and everyone expects certain things from a final round of the U S open. So again, we've got to go hard. Like, it's almost as if the plan for the week was thrown out the window because, you know, we didn't back ourselves. Ultimately for mine, the greens were the, the real problem mm. on Thursday. There wasn't much else wrong in my mind. And I know that, you know, I know that you felt probably overall that, that, that the start was soft and I know that that's an opinion shared by many, but I don't know, like I kind of feel it's, it's a tight rope. Don't get me wrong. Cause they do nothing or if they do, you know, what they'd planned rather than maybe try to 
draw the shit out of them if they if they do very little and we come back out on friday and it's the same jesus that would have been you know murder but it's just one of those things it's it's it felt like they were constantly chasing their tail and and i like i don't like to see that because i i like to give faith to the ground stuff particularly guys who work that course day in day out right but it just felt as though they were chasing their tails the whole weekend and that it's not a great place to be in in a flagship tournament no, and look, you know, uh, the USGA are the ones that sit, set the pin positions. And I think, to be honest, the pin positions were probably one of the things that I was most disappointed with. Um, mm. You know, as I mentioned, I did a lot of breaking down of the stats um, on this. So I, I broke the, broke each pin position down into to the depth. So in the front third, the middle third, or the back third, and uh, if they were on the left or right-hand side and, and how far they were in um, on each. So... 49% so this is how preoccupied with the rough we were 49% of the pins were within 0 to 5 yards of the edge of the green so so 35 uh, pin positions were within 5 yards of the edge of the green so we thought the rough is so hard let's just put the the pin right next to the the, the edge of the rough uh, and that just took out completely the fantastic contouring that exists within the middle of the greens, the first hole, the hardest green on the course, all four pins were in the middle third of, of the green. Three of them were tucked right up against the, the edge of the, the green. Like I just, it slopes from back to front. There was not one pin position at the front of the green that forced players to have a really tricky downhill part or leave that shot short to have the uphill part yeah it just it, it allowed it was just too easy in in many ways i don't know i don't have the numbers about what they played to over par but you know it was the same again on on hole number two and then the back nine was was phenomenal 15 is one of the most fantastic green everyone knows that green the beautiful sort of two three tiered green everything was so deep into it there was nothing on the front nothing in the front third nothing in the front third on 17 uh, sorry, on 15, 17, or 18, on 17, like it was the pin positions were just a disaster um, on, on a number of holes. And I think that's the part that I look at and I just went like, we could have, we could have done so much better with all of these pin positions to really, really test out some of the players. There were, there were only 29% of the pins uh, at the front, in the front third of, um, of the greens across the course where a majority of them slope from back to front. So we allowed 31% of pins in the back third to allow for the easier uphill part. Like, I don't know, but the U S open is meant to be a real, real test. It's, it's probably meant to be the hardest test of golf in the, in the three U S um, three U S majors that we have. And I, I just feel like we didn't necessarily get that this week. And I know the scores probably contradict what I'm saying a little bit, but I just would have loved to seen a few different pin positions. That is my rant. Rant over. Look, I I think the most telling piece is the widespread reports from on the ground of a complete disconnect between the USGA and the ground stuff. And that speaks volumes to me that obviously the guys at Wingfoot were very passionate about the course that they work day in, day out. And you've got the USGA lobbying in and ultimately um, most people, most fans or the, the casual observer, if they've got a criticism about the course, they'll aim it at the course staff yep. 
whereas obviously by virtue of the numbers you've just pointed out to us, the USGA have an awful lot of responsibility to take in the setup. And, and that's, that's difficult for the guys whose reputations are staked on, on that course and what people expect out of a wing foot us open. So yeah, the, the, the talk from on the ground of the, of the complete disconnect between the USGA and the ground staff was telling, I think. Yeah, completely agree. I completely agree. And for the USGA to pass the buck and say that wing foot are the ones that are responsible for the setup of the course. I think that's, that's a bit of a cop out on their behalf. So, Mm. um, that's sort of my rant on, on the setup. Hopefully it's, um, Hopefully the pin positions next time we go back to wing foot, whenever that might be, I think it's 27 or something like that would be uh, maybe just a little better, but it, Hey, we, we've got major golf this year. I suppose we shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't be asking for too much. That'll probably do us streets. It will just before we go, uh, yes. a couple of very cool uh, little things as you would have seen on Facebook. Uh, we have launched our new um, little video content piece called Backspinners. Uh, it is the video series of me and, Marshy, the two of us out uh, playing uh, 18 holes of match play at various golf courses. We've only had, we only managed to get the one in while we we're over in, while I was over in Queensland. The uh, video is now live. It's gone very well thus far. Premiered at 5:30 my time this afternoon. So good number of views already. So get onto Facebook and check that one out. Um, and the, uh, yes, I was just going to say the irony, of course, being that neither of us put any sort of backspin on the ball. Yes, um, correct. That's so. why we call it a backspinners. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we were going to call it a few other things and then they were all too literal. So we, uh, we didn't go with any of that, but, uh, go and check that one out and yeah. And then make sure if you, everyone could, they could just leave a rating and a, and a little review that would, that would obviously really help us continue to grow. Everyone's been fantastic supporters of the, of the pod thus far. Um, and a, uh, and a, and a five star, if, if you so feel five star review, um, would be very much appreciated. That's all Agreed. No, no, truth. That's a good way to round out. So a big congratulations again to Bryson James Aldrich DeChambeau. He is a bad, bad man. Uh, he is our second major winner of this year. He is our second first-time major winner of this year as well, of course, with the back of Colin Morikawa at the PGA Championship and a dominant, dominant performance by Bryson. So we tip our hat. Um, <laughs> obviously not the type of hats he wears because they're ridiculous, but we tip our hat to Bryson on his victory. And we look ahead. Bit of another fun one coming up, Dreads. Yeah, uh, Thursday. Uh, well, uh, unfortunately, this week is, this weekend is meant to be Ryder Cup weekend. Um, mm. But instead, we're playing golf at the Corral of Punta Cana, uh, which is obviously very disappointing. So we have decided to do who our picks were would be for the Ryder Cup. Would it be played this weekend? Uh, so that'll be coming out on Thursday. We've done it in a draft-style format as well. So if one player picks someone, they are off the board and gone. So yes. that is fun. Uh, very much looking forward to it. Yes. So um, get around that. That'll be coming out on I don't know, Thursday, something like that. Thursday, Friday. Stay tuned. Whenever you please, you are the king of content. So it's it's at your discretion. Thanks for the us. We'll be back in your ears a little later this week.